Have you all ever experienced miscommunications when using nonverbal cues with people you know or people of different cultures? Um, yeah, I think I have. You know, somebody can be trying to say something, but you interpret it in a different way because of, you know, their face or their eyes or the way that they're smiling. Anything like that can just throw you off a little bit. And I feel like it can change the whole entire message of where the conversation's going. I definitely uh, can speak to that too. Like, I've experienced um, that in my life whenever I've met new people or even just like um, experiencing it in like a friendship setting. Uh, I've known them my whole life. I think I think it could definitely or you know meeting new people like you think they're getting along and you think you have like a good connection but secretly like they don't think so and they're just yeah, not you, not really with you. I feel like you can tell like with their facial expressions kind of like we were yeah. yeah. Yeah, so today we're actually going to be talking about how facial communication and physical appearance uh relate to people with similar or different cultural or back cultural backgrounds. So we're going to be looking at how these spatial communications and physical appearance affect people of different cultures and how the similarities within our cultures can be uh, delved into more. So the first thing we're going to talk about is spatial communication. So I'm going to start that off with the definition just so that we're all on the same page here. Um, facial communication is how we use our facial expressions to non-verbally communicate. And this comes from our textbook, Interpersonal Communication by Richard West and Lynn Turner. So the first thing I think we're going to look at here is eye contact, and I'm going to open up the floor to Angelica and Mary Elizabeth here in a second. Um, so my first question for you guys is how does eye contact um, play a role in personal settings and business professional settings? Well, I think for me, um, well, actually, yeah, in a personal setting, um, I remember when I was super young, like my dad and I would always well, I mean, we would talk, you know, but he would ask me a question and be like something stupid about like, hey, Mary Elizabeth, uh, did you... Did you get your homework done? Yeah, did you get your homework done? And I'm like, um, no, or yeah. <laughs> and I would like talk to him and I would like try and keep my, my eyes on him, like like in his eyes, locked in, but... But he knew by the lack of eye contact that you were probably lying and didn't get he, your homework done. Yeah, yeah. Or even, like, going into the fridge and, like, eating when I wasn't supposed to or, or something like going that. Going off topic a little bit, like avoiding it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, for sure. Definitely. Well, that's interesting because that actually kind of ties back into what the book says, and most people perceive um, lack of eye contact as a lack of trust. So it's actually funny that you said that in your example. Mm. And well, with you know a more professional and business setting, let's say you're at a job interview and you know they want to get to know you, that is where you need eye contact because you want to like establish that trust. You want yeah. to think that you know you're a good good person to hire. You want to have that initial trust with somebody, so you do want to make more eye contact than usual. And I, I also agree. I also think that like that's more of an American thing really when you, when you look at an it. American culture. Yeah. Yeah, it is actually. Um, so in the textbook, it actually tells us that in other cultures, um, they find eye contact to be disrespectful and almost like a sign of threatening someone. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we see that like in J Japanese cultures, Jamaican cultures, and even Kenyan cultures as well. So pretty spread out across the globe that we see that eye contact is not the same, um, does not have the same perception to other people as it does in American culture. That's pretty interesting. Um, and I feel like even in that business setting, I know Angelica, you were talking about like your, um, your work, cause I know you're a waitress and mm -hmm. stuff like, 
how does that dive into like the whole face mask thing or even before you know even before COVID pre-COVID yeah and I'm gonna switch it a little bit to not as much of eye contact but before face masks um like smiles Mm -hmm. and you know whenever somebody comes in through the door I obviously greet them with a smile because I want them to perceive that you know I'm like they're being welcomed into the restaurant and I'm happy to be there I'm happy to be serving them even though that's not the case, I may be having an awful day. I may be having, you know, yeah. just an awful shift. I don't want them to know that. I need to, like, smile and make sure that they think, they you know, everything is happy and cheery and everything like that. Yeah. So you're kind of sometimes sending a mixed message with that smile for maybe a better tip, it sounds like? For sure. Definitely a fake smile or, <laughs> I mean, even just, like, communicating with them, you know, talking with your customers a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, connecting with them on a different level for, like, a better tip. Yeah. Just so you can establish, once again, that trust. Eye contact. Right back to eye contact. For sure. I would even, like, because I'm a waitress, too. And, like, post-COVID, it's been insanely harder to do that. Like, I use my facial expressions a lot. Just, like, trying to show people, Mm -hmm. like, I care about them. Right. Like, whatever. Um, So, what's been your biggest thing that's hindered you recently from smiling? Or, like, what's what's hindered you in the food food industry being a server I've really had to use my eyes and like also use my verbal communication a lot instead of nonverbal instead of my nonverbal or or like over exaggerate my nonverbal like because that mask takes out basically half of your you know facial communications that you can give out so it makes it a lot harder to use your facial communication when half your face is covered correct I can definitely see how that's a big challenge yeah so it's very like false perception oh yeah do you feel like maybe the mask has also affected your ability to get tips because you can't properly communicate with um, people in the restaurant and maybe they're not picking up on your nonverbal cues? Yeah, I think also, I mean, a lot of people use humor, um, which I know is also mentioned in our textbook also um, by Lynn. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, humor is a way for, for us to uh, to better connect with people and um and so it's kind of hard to crack a joke and not use your facial communication with that person and then not possibly not get the joke. And you're right. Like, oh, I'm kidding. Right, because you're laughing or yeah. like you're smiling as you're telling a joke and yeah. they, they don't see that. So yeah. they don't know, especially if you're being like sarcastic. Yeah. They don't know. Sarcasm. If you're... <laughs> they're missing, you know, they're missing entire parts of your facial communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is something that can be, you know, observed on a global, global scale and doesn't really, it's not unique to one culture because you know we've seen the pandemic spread across the entire globe so this is something that everyone's having to deal with regardless of how you use facial communication and and what your perceptions are to it Mm -hmm. you still have you know a a global impact of this of people not being able to fully express themselves with the nonverbal cue of um, facial communication so all that being said we're going to switch topics here a little bit next to physical appearance um, and talk about body artifacts and how that relates to physical appearance but let's first get a definition of physical appearance and body artifacts first. So for body artifacts, it refers to our possessions and how we decorate ourselves and our surroundings. And for physical appearance, uh, physical appearance encompasses all of the physical characteristics of an individual, including things like body size, skin color, uh, style, facial hair, facial features, and the list goes on and on. And both of those definitions can be found in our book, Interpersonal Communication by Richard West and Lynn Turner. So I'm gonna open up the floor with a question again to Mary Elizabeth and Angelica. 
So how do you feel like tattoos, this is something that we talked about in class briefly, how do you feel like tattoos um, play into our physical appearance of maybe how people would judge us um, in a professional setting and also a business setting? And then maybe um, a different approach would be how our parents viewed tattoos versus the new generation or our generation of people viewing tattoos. Well, I feel like in a business setting, although now it's getting to a little bit different, but past jobs, I mean, you could possibly not get the job over somebody that doesn't have a tattoo because you do, because, you know, somebody may see you working there and get the wrong idea of you. Oh my gosh, look at all her body tattoos and, you know, kind of stereotype you. Mm -hmm. But I feel like now they're getting more and more popular that it's not as much of an impact. You know, they'll still hire you and... They'll still accept you, but I feel like there's still, you know, if you have like, even let's say facial tattoos, I feel like that plays a big part in how somebody like sees you and judges you and stuff like that. I would actually say that too. And going back to like being a waitress, um, I know for me, like I have almost a full sleeve, um, kind of a little bit, but, um, I get a lot of, you know, people, um, my customers will ask me, oh man, like what's that tattoo mean? Or. I like your tattoos and I, I can, I know those people that like tattoos or, you know, necessarily don't like tattoos are, those people are out there. So like the same people that are asking me those types of questions, there's also the other flip side of that where there's people probably looking at me and saying, man, that's a lot of tattoos. Like, why should you Would you mind giving us some um, one personal experience of a bad, like your worst experience that someone's given you for a tattoo? Maybe, maybe your mom or dad when you first got it or yeah. someone that wasn't expecting it? Yeah. So my dad has never liked tattoos. Um, and that's just because, um, you know, the typical Christian uh, growing up in that household, that was what the belief was. And he, he's definitely like his mindset has grown um, more to that and realized like that was more of a cultural thing back then um it's different now kind of deal but um he was able to work past the he, stigma he was definitely able to work past it and also like one of my tattoos is um is an adoption tattoo it's a symbol symbolism of adoption and uh and so it represents like my biological family and my adoptive family all coming together in one and then like my relationship with the lord as well like and how that's like i've grown in my identity and like who I am and so like especially getting that one like that was a really big thing for him to see okay like it's not just like she's marking up her body it's like these are meaningful. these are meaningful mm -hmm. things yes. that you're getting that mm -hmm. you know kind of express who you are as a person and for sure being individual I think that's something that kind of relates back to stuff we've talked about in the past as far as people's perception and generalizing people um but once you actually get to know them, you find out a completely different story. Yeah. So thank you for sharing those. Um, the next one we're going to go to is maybe how you perceive people that are dressed business professionally. So someone wearing a suit versus maybe someone using casual attire. And I'm going to go ahead and start this one off um, and answer my own question here of how that might play a role um, and how you're treated if you're wearing a suit versus casual attire and how your body artifacts play into that as well. Um, so I'm going to use a story of when my dad buys cars, he likes to dress, um, rather dress down, if you will. So casual attire, if not even skewing more towards, you know, looking of someone of a lower demographic, like lower socioeconomic demographic. Um, and he does it for that same reason. He doesn't want people to judge him before he goes in there and he wants to be treated like a person that's coming to buy a car. 
and he sees how the car salesman and the people at the dealership treat him. And if they don't treat him the way he doesn't, you know, he wants to be treated or feels like they judged him based off what he was wearing, he'll go to a different dealership and buy the car and wait till someone treats him the way he wants to. Um, Angelica or Mary Elizabeth, do you guys have anything to say I mean, on this I one? Mean, I, I, I think it's awful that somebody does that, but I think it just shows how much we stereotype people because you can be so wealthy and dress not very nice and they're going to treat you how you dress, which mm -hmm. is, you know, the wrong way of going about somebody because they really don't know, you know, your, like your true self, what you do, how you carry yourself. Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And it kind of ties back into those four big assumptions we talked about of nonverbal communication um, that were surprising that we did the discussion post on. And I think this one kind of falls under the category of like people believe nonverbal cues over verbal cues. So the fact that he, my dad might be talking in a way that's professional and, you know, someone like that's serious, class. exactly. Yeah. Someone yeah. that is educated and would buy a car, you know, and be able to afford it. Um, just the sole fact that his nonverbal of physical appearance completely can shut that down. And he's tested this multiple times. So it's something that isn't, you know, one dealership. It's something that's pretty generalizable to people. I think um, also, you know, discussing like the different culture and backgrounds too, like the other, the way that people dress, not only in America, but like in other, other places. I know um, there is, I can't remember if it was, it's probably in the textbook, but also when we were talking, um, and discussing about um, uh, um, different also, cultures. Yeah, different cultures. We were discussing that uh, prior to making this podcast. It was um, we were talking about African, South African cultures, and like neck rings, and like and Asian cultures, and Asian even. cultures too. Mm -hmm. And like they believe that um, elongating the neck. Uh, is like a sign of, like of I ideal beauty. Yeah, it's an idealistic view of their beauty. Even though, like here in America, it's totally not. You know, we never see that. It's crazy, just like you know how like on another continent, it's like means something mm -hmm. completely different. Right, exactly. Yeah, and like if, if we saw someone with twenty rings and their right. neck was a foot and a half long, we would think, you know, what's that person doing? Right. That's that's weird. But then it's crazy to see how the perceptions in that culture are completely different and it's actually associated with an ideal sense of beauty. And I'm sure if they came over to us and we weren't wearing it, they would, you know, feel the same exact way just because we're not, they're not used to it and we're not used to it. Yeah. They would have the same perceptions about us because right. we don't have long necks. So then we would be perceived as not ideally beautiful. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think there's a couple other cultures we can observe this in as well. Um, Muslim culture just how they dress like hijabs and stuff like that people are quick to stereotype especially after 9-11 of classifying people that wear muslim garb um like hijabs into this extreme terrorist thing which couldn't be more wrong and it just goes to show how physical appearance is just something that's so commonly generalized and we put people into boxes and we really need to be aware of how how that affects people and the implications from it and even just being aware of that um, that nonverbal aspect, not necessarily just the perception aspect, um, just being aware of like, uh, yeah, other cultures, but also being aware of like, okay, um, why why are they acting this way? Why are they? Why do they dress the way that they dress? Kind of deal. There's or, a reason. There's for a everything, reason. There's a right? reason. Whether it goes, whether we know it or not. For sure. For sure.
you know, back to what Stone is saying with the Muslim people being treated differently because of their physical appearance with their jobs, I actually researched something similar one time for one of my classes, and I found an article from the Harvard Business Review called Attractive People Get Unfair Advantages at Work. And basically what the article talks about is the beauty bias and how this comes into effect in the workplace. What the beauty bias is is basically it just says that it acknowledges that more attractive individuals will receive preferential treatment throughout their lives. And this article specifically talks about the um, treatment they receive in the workplace. And it goes on to say that physically attractive individuals are actually more likely to be interviewed for jobs, so they're even more likely to get their foot in the door. They're more likely to advance rapidly in their careers through promotions. And this is what really surprised me when I read the article, is that they are more likely to earn higher wages than traditionally unattractive or less attractive individuals. And that is just mind-blowing to me, um, how our physical appearance can have that big of an impact on something like our job, where you think it really wouldn't matter. Something else I wanted to touch on in regards to proxemics and our haptics is how this has changed due to the pandemic. Um, you know, a little story is like, I was at a wedding last December and I couldn't hug my grandparents. And I come from a Spanish family um, who just like the professor, they hug all the time. Like it's, you say goodbye and they're hugging you five times. And so it was just really interesting to see how we couldn't do that and how it changed the whole like mood. Um, we really use that to show how we feel and that's just in their culture. And so not being able to do that really, um, it was different. It, it took some getting used to. And it put more emphasis, I guess, on what we were saying when we said goodbye instead of being able to, you know, give them a hug and show your emotion through that. So that was just something interesting that the pandemic has really changed. You know, overall, I think it's really important that we discuss all these topics right now, though, uh, given our current situation with COVID. Uh, we discussed how masks and social distancing have impacted our ability to communicate, like with my grandparents and like with Angelica and Mary Elizabeth um, being waitresses. You know, this has basically changed almost every aspect of our nonverbal communication. And that's why I think it's so important for us to realize why this nonverbal communication really matters and how we use it in our daily lives. So hopefully we were able to answer some of these questions and thank you for listening.